Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. It's great to see you today. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to worship. Welcome to those who will be joining us online as well. If this is one of your first times joining us, uh, we'd like to extend a very special welcome to you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can communicate with us. And one of the ways in which you can do that is by taking a communication card if you're here in person and filling out that communication card. And if you have some free time afterwards, we'd love to chat with you. Stop by our Welcome Center. We have a free gift just for joining us this morning. But indeed, thanks for worshiping with us today. For those of you joining us online, uh, you can visit us at vlchurch.com and click on the banner that says, Are You New Here? And uh, a form will pop up. If you could fill out that form, that'll come straight to me, and I will connect with you sometime this week. But also, thank you for joining us in worship as well. I do have a few announcements for you this morning. Uh, the first is a reminder that on Sunday, November 12th, uh, we will be having an opportunity for many of you to respond to what God has been doing in your life. We know that God has been great at work here at Victory Life Church, and some of you need to take that next step in your walk with Christ, and that next step for you is to get baptized into him. You know, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he said, if you believe in me, and if you get baptized, uh, you will be saved. Acts 2.38, there was a bunch of people responding to the gospel. And they said, what should we do? And the apostle Peter said, repent and be baptized for the gift of the Holy Spirit and for the forgiveness of your sins. And so if that is something that is resonating with you, we encourage you to get baptized on Sunday, November 12th. The way to kind of take the step to do that is to... Uh, Click on a banner on our website that says Get Baptized. Fill out that form. That will come straight to us, and we will communicate with you about next details for sure. But looking forward to baptism on Sunday, November 12th. Well, the very next week in November, we will be having our next baby dedication during both worship services. If you have a little one that you would like to have de dedicated unto the nurture and admonition of God's care and provision, uh, you, can, you can sign up to have that done. You can go to our website, click on the baby dedication banner, and sign up for that. But we look forward to doing that also on November 19th uh, as well. That's all I have this morning in the way of announcements and information to share with you. If you have come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, that is awesome and amazing. And you can certainly do that online. You can do that at our website. You can do that via text, or you can do that as you exit the sanctuary this morning but for sure, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus uh, through your tithes and offerings uh, today. Can I ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, can we bow for a word of prayer together as we enter into worship? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your presence in our lives. For this reason, and so many others, you are worthy to be praised because you came to where we are and you connected with us on our level. There is truly no one like you who can connect with us on such a deeply personal level. And we ask that you would do that now as we give you glory, as we give you praise, and as we worship you. We ask and pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him this morning.
see you in this place today. We want to see your glory. We want to know your power. As we sing this next song, Lord, we pray that our eyes would be open and that you would reveal to us once again just how great and awesome you are. Jesus, man of sorrows who died for the sins of the world.
cries out. And now my soul cries out. Hallelujah. Praise and honor unto thee. Oh, praise and honor unto thee.
Lord Jesus, you said to us that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you would be in the midst of us. Well, we've gathered in your name today. In the name of the one and only Son of God who paid the price for human sin in full. Lord, your righteousness is our salvation. And your love is the vehicle of that righteousness. So, Lord Jesus, we tell you in return today we love you. And we are grateful to you. Grateful for your presence. Needing your presence. Needing your real and abiding presence. For the Savior of the world has come. And he's made things right between us and God. So, Lord Jesus, we declare you worthy today of all of our praise and adoration for your salvation, for your forgiveness, and now for your presence. You are worthy. You are worthy. And you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. come to your table today as dearly loved children. Thank you for receiving us into your heart. Continue to speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt, and it's my great privilege and pleasure to be able to share from the Word of God with you this morning. But before we do that, young disciples, you may be dismissed to head on down the hall. You will be studying the same passage that we'll be studying, and we, folks, will be studying from the book of John. About four or five weeks ago, we did the second half of John chapter 15, and today we're going to do the first half. We're, we've been talking about a personal relationship with Jesus and where in the scripture that is spoken of and talked about. And uh, two weeks ago we made the case that that's a thing, that the Bible actually speaks to it, that it's not merely an idea, but it's, it's really where we ought to live and what we ought to be doing. Last week we talked about that relationship being informed by lordship, that yes, Jesus is our friend. He declares himself that. Yes, Jesus is the lover of our souls, but ultimately we come into relationship with him through lordship and obedience. He's the boss, and therefore we engage in relationship with him primarily through lordship. And today we're going to talk about what relationship with Jesus is for. What does God say it's for? That's what we'll be talking about. I have a terrible confession to make to you today, one that 
makes me nervous about my ongoing relationship with the Lord. I prayed a prayer that I'm not proud of last Sunday. You see, as the 49ers were driving down the field at the end of regulation and put themselves in field goal range to defeat the Cleveland Browns, I may have said in my armchair to the Lord, Oh, Lord, just one time can the other team miss this field goal so that the Browns might win. I said, I know you don't care, but it would mean a lot to me. And there it sailed wide right. I was both elated and ashamed all in the same moment that I had prayed that prayer. But I did. I prayed that prayer. And uh, I had joy for a little bit, fleeting, a little bit, a little bit of happiness. I was happy to make dinner and do the dishes that night so I could listen to ESPN Radio and the postgame show. And, uh, and, and my happiness over that Browns win lasted until about noon on Monday. By 3 o'clock when I turned on the radio and went to pick up my kids from school, it was gone. It was fleeting. It was just for a little bit. And I, I recognize even today that the Browns really don't exist for my happiness. If they did, I wouldn't be a Browns fan. But the Browns <laughs> truly exist to make money. They don't really even exist to win, right? We, we could say if we were to, you know, what, a, what does a sports team exist for? We would say to win. But that wouldn't be right, would it? Is this to make money? The minute they stop making money, there won't be a sports team anymore, right? I mean, sometimes the, the ultimate reason for something being in existence is just, just a little bit off from what we interpret it to be. And today I want to make the case from John chapter 15 that our relationship with Jesus might not exist for the reasons we think. Jesus declares very firmly what our relationship with him exists for and what we're going to find today is ultimately that's going to bring us a whole lot more joy than what we think it exists for. So let's ask that question today. Why does the Bible call us into personal relationship with Jesus? What's God trying to get out of it? We just sang what we get out of it, didn't we? We just sang the gospel this morning together. What, what a feast of theology and doctrine and worship that we were just served. But we, we were able to, to express to God what we get out of it. But, but what's he in it for? What does Jesus want? What's relationship with him for? So today we're going to be in John 15. We're going to look at about 11 verses. But before we do that, I'd like to take you to a verse we studied just a, a few weeks ago when we did the second half of this passage. And it's John chapter 15, verse 16. Jesus is going to lay it out. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you. Uh, I'll, I'll give you the end from the beginning here. I'm going to tell you why Jesus says we're in relationship with him. John 15, 16 says this. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That, that's, that's, what, that's what Christ gets out of it. That's why he's in relationship with you. He's in relationship with you, that you might bear fruit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray today that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, we pray, Lord, that we would see you for who you are, not who we want you to be. We pray we would understand you for who you are and not who we want you to be. And we pray, Lord, that we'd leave this place changed knowing that you have good intentions for each and every one of us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15, 1 and following, we're going to be reading about 11 verses here today. We won't be able to do a deep dive on every single word and verse, but we'll go concept for concept John 15, 1 and following, very familiar passage probably to many of you. 
Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, the Father prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. What a powerful, powerful word picture that the Lord Jesus gives us. The best teacher in the history of the world has given us a a masterful lesson on how to take an agricultural expression and, and turn it into an awesome analogy. My goal today is going to be to not complicate the obvious, which I'm very good at doing. Arlen just smiled like, yes, you are. Yeah. Don't want to complicate the obvious. Jesus gives us this incredible word picture, doesn't he, for what he's expecting out of our relationship with him. And it's very clear our relationship with with him is designed to bear fruit. Fruit that will remain, ostensibly fruit that remains for eternity. That's what Christ is after from us. He wants us to bear fruit that matters, that lasts, that that is, (laughs) here's a big word, concomitant with his mission on earth. That comes alongside Christ's mission and makes it bigger, grander, to, to, to more scale. Greater things than these you will do, said Jesus to his disciples, which is just a wild statement, except that he's talking about the, the breadth of the ministry that's going to happen when his disciples all over the world bear fruit. But this is a loaded term, this idea of being the vine, because up to this point in Scripture, Israel had, be the vine, had been the vine. So when Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, once again, Jesus is making a very, very big statement. Because in the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Hosea, the book of Psalms, the the book of Jeremiah, Israel had been described as God's vineyard. And and Israel had a mission. There was a missio dei for Israel. and, and, And the mission of God for Israel was to live in such a way as to demonstrate that God, the one true God, Yahweh God, I am that I am, existence himself, lives in Israel and thereby the nations would see who the one true creator God is, except they couldn't get there. Perhaps for just a few years at the beginning of Solomon's reign, we could make the argument that Israel fulfilled the mission of being the vineyard. But each and every time that the prophets describe Israel as a vineyard, it's a negative connotation. 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and Psalms all say the vineyard is not producing fruit. So Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come and be the true vine that could produce fruit. So what is the fruit that Jesus accomplished or provided that Israel could not? Now, you you might be able to fill in one of a dozen words there, but boil down when we get to the the very brass tacks, if you will, of, of the nature of who Christ was. He offered salvation in the one true God that Israel was not able to offer the world. That was the fruit of Christ. That was the, the thing that he rendered unto us was salvation. We just, we just sang about it for about 15 minutes. That Jesus brought about salvation for the world. That is the fruit of the ministry of Christ. The fruit that Israel was not able to produce. People were not able to turn to God through the nation of Israel. But they could turn to God in Christ. And therefore when Jesus says, hey, you're part of this thing. You're the branch that's grafted into the vine. And it's always a little bit weird, right, when you hear vine and branches, because when I think vine, I think branch and then vine. But I don't know anything about viticulture, about about the the whole wine-making process that starts with grapes. I don't know anything about what was going on in ancient Israel. But but the vine is is the source of life and the source of nutrients. And in this case, the branches are the individual pieces and parts that bear grapes. And oh, aren't grapes delicious? My wife, or not my wife, my grandmother had a grapevine in her backyard. And so every couple of years when she'd get a really good harvest, I'd go out there, I'd pick all the grapes, and she would make grape juice. And it was so sweet that you had to cut it with water. It, it, was, it was beautiful, it was awesome. The, oh, the fruit of a life that abides in Christ. So sweet that the world should have to cut us with water because of who we know and who we abide in. So Jesus says that you are the branches of of the vine that is me, the salvation-bearing vine that is me. You're the branches. You're the the foot soldiers of this this vine, of this grape-producing vine. It's it's you who's going to be out there. But my Father is invested in pruning you. He's investing in in making some cuts and, 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 and tweaking some things in order that you may bear more fruit. That's what the father is doing. Just like any good father disciplines their children, so the father, through the word of Christ, disciplines us and and produces more fruit in us if we do bear fruit. Of course, there's also a negative connotation, but we'll get back to there just in a minute. Because Christians ought to and do bear fruit. And that's why I'm so excited about what God's been doing in so many of your lives in the past few years. I've seen you as you've spent time with other Christians and studied the word and prayed and invited Christ in deeper ways into your life. I've seen so many of you begin to produce such good fruit. It's it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. You've allowed the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that God has poured into your heart. You've allowed the love that you felt through the forgiveness of Christ. You've allowed your relationship with him to spill over in such a way that you began to ask yourself the question, am I producing fruit for eternity? Am I doing something that will abide, that will last? And I've watched as as Christ has transformed some of your lives in this pruning process. You've allowed yourself to be pruned by the Father in such a way that you've asked the question, am I shining my light? Am I bearing fruit? 
Am I the salt of the earth that still has saltiness? Am I the harvester in Christ's field? Am I experiencing the result of relationship with Christ, which is fruit? You've asked yourself the question, am I experiencing fruit? Is this me? Is this, is this what I'm doing? And I've watched as your lifestyle has changed. Many of you went and, and took our Tell the Story workshop to, to, to make sure that you had competency and confidence in sharing Christ with others. You made that a, a, a priority. Some of you uh, did crazy things like open your home for neighborhood Bible studies or invite your unchurched neighbors to Bible studies in your, in your, in your, in your apartment buildings or, or, or you've started regularly inviting people to church as if they might experience the presence of the Lord here and be changed because people do. You've thought about building relationships with non-Christians. You've, you, you've, you, you've considered how you might bear fruit. You've been participating in being pruned. And it's awesome to see. That's the beautiful part, the, 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 the interesting part, the sobering part is the other side of the analogy, which takes place here in verse 2 and then is explained in even, even deeper measure in verse 6 that every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. He says you can't, you can't be in the vine anymore because you're, you're sapping nutrients and you're sapping sustenance from those branches that do bear fruit. You say, Pastor Matt, what do you make of that? What's the theology here? The theology that the Father takes away the branches that don't bear fruit. Or in verse 6, that, that they are thrown away and burned. Is the theology here, Pastor Matt, that, that God is going to send Christians to hell if they don't bear fruit? Isn't that the natural question of, of, of John 15 here? Isn't that the sobering question? It's an issue. It's an issue. And the, 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 the clear and honest answer that I will give you is, oh. Oh. I don't know. Well, 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 thank God we have the Apostle Paul, right? Once saved, always saved. We're good. Right? And the, I don't know because the Lord also said, and this is what concerns me, that in the body of Christ, the wheat would also grow up with the tares. Meaning there'd be people who go to church and call themselves Christians who are not saved. Is this what Jesus is denoting here? Or is, or, or is the Lord just saying, if you don't get any use, you're never going to have any use and you can't be used. And then you'll just stand before God one day and say, I did nothing for you, but thanks for salvation. You know? I don't know. I think this is one of those places where, where maybe we work out our salvation in fear and trembling and always tend towards the side of taking Jesus for his word as opposed to dismissing his word. But at the same time, I don't know, and I, I will say this to you honestly, that this concept of throwing them away and bundling them and burning them is a reference to hell. I don't know that it is. I think it might just be the natural end of this 
particular analogy. Suffice it to say this. Suffice it to say this. There's a few things it seems that Jesus has no time for that get him really churned up, really upset. We know that hypocrisy is one of them, specifically hypocrisy as it relates to religiosity, meaning what's more important is that I look religious and not that I actually have a relationship with God. He, He can't stand that. That, that'll get him saying things like, woe to you. We also know that Jesus has no time for blasphemy, which is the concept, if you read it scripturally, that, that you ascribe to the enemy the legitimate work of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want, want to forgive that. That's, that's really twisted. Uh, he, he has no time for unforgiveness. And if you were to say, Pastor Matt... Where would you be concerned that somebody would call themselves a Christian, but they're not, you're not quite sure that they are? If, if, if you walk in unforgiveness and you write people off regularly, then I would be concerned on the basis of Scripture. That, I'd be more concerned there than here in John 15. But John 15 seems that the Father and Christ uh, d- don't have any time for branches that don't eventually bear fruit. It's not okay with them. Jesus didn't come to this earth to, to live a very hard life, oftentimes going hungry, oftentimes not having a place to lay his head, spending time with 12 men who didn't get it every day, and then go to a torturous and grisly execution on your and my behalf so that we could look at Christ and say, thank you for salvation, but I'm not worried about the rest of them. I don't think that's what he died for. He died for everybody, who would receive him. So you'd say, Pastor Matt, I'm really concerned today. I don't know that I'm bearing fruit. Well, I've got good news for you on two fronts. Number one, the rest of the Bible makes it incredibly clear. The Lord is really patient. He's been really patient with me. He even lets me pray heretical prayers for the Browns and doesn't smite me. He's really patient. But right after saying that he takes every branch in me that does not bear fruit away, Jesus gives us a really, really beautiful promise, a really, really beautiful statement in verse 3. What does he say? He says, already you have been made clean because of my word. So in verse 1 and 2, we were talking about pruning, right? Pruning, you get it, pruning. Cut it back, grow some more. But he uses a very different word here. He uses the word clean. That's on purpose. That's on purpose. I mentioned to you this concept of the vine was a very Jewish concept. Well, this word clean is also a very Jewish word because he was speaking to Jewish men who, when they heard clean, would note something. He's telling them, you're already prepared to bear fruit, my disciples. And so I say to you all today who are going, am I bearing fruit? (sighs) You're very close to bearing fruit so long as you have been washed in the water of his word. Were you singing that word this morning, the gospel of Jesus Christ that you've responded to? Have you responded to that word? Because that's what he's saying. You're already clean because of your word. Now let's get Old Testament here for just a minute. What's Jesus saying to them? Well, there's there's three distinct realities in, in Israelite religion of the Old Testament. There is the concept of holy and common. Holy is set apart for service to God. Common's just stuff. 
And the goal for all of us is to be made holy, to be able to come into the presence of the Lord in the Old Testament, of course, into the temple to be made holy and be set apart for service to him. And then just below that is the concept of clean, which is what Jesus is saying here, and unclean. Clean things can come into the presence of a holy God, even if they are unrighteous. Clean is to say to God, I respect you enough to do things your way. I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I need your grace and mercy. I recognize that I don't always do it right. But what I will do is approach you respectfully. So there were all types of laws about coming into the presence of a holy God clean. Because you can't be unclean in the presence of God. That means you don't respect him. That means you don't really care about your relationship with him, so you won't do the things necessary to be clean. So if unclean things come into the holy presence of God, that's cause for smiting. But if clean people who have taken his word seriously come into the presence of God, at that point a sacrifice for sins can be made. And that's the third level, righteous and sinful There is no one righteous, not even one. So when the Israelites would come into the temple and into the presence of God, what would they do? They couldn't come righteous, but they could come clean. They could come in a way that says, God, I respect you and I will do things your way and you're the boss. And there were laws that allowed them to come into the temple and the holy place of God clean. Because if they're unclean, they're in trouble. But if if you say, God, I know I'm a sinner and I respect you and I'm going to bring my sacrifice to the temple to deal with this unrighteousness problem down here, I can come into your presence clean and, and we can have a relationship. Those were the three strata of relationship with God in the Old Testament. I'm not holy. I'm not set apart for service to you, but I want to come into your presence, so I'm going to come clean Because if I come unclean, we're in deep trouble. So I'll show you, God, that I respect you by doing things your way, and I'll bring a sacrifice into the temple because I am unrighteous and recognize relationship with you is based on being declared righteous. And what we just sang here this morning was that we've been declared righteous because of the blood of Christ. We can come into the presence of the Lord. No further sacrifice for sin needs to be made. But what Jesus is saying is to disciples that day, you've not just been made righteous, which is awesome, but my word has cleansed you so you can be set apart for service to God by being in the presence of God. All of that from the word clean. It's exactly what Jesus is denoting. He's telling them, you are ritually clean. You are able to come into the presence of God now simply because you have responded favorably to my word. That's why our religion is so confessional, right? If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Uh, For God sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. To as many as received him who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have been washed clean in the word. We've responded favorably to a word that needs faith and needs action and needs actionable items like being baptized and and said, I believe in you, I trust you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I can now come into your presence and be made holy, which will allow me to do the things that you do. Therefore, verse 4, abide in me. You're allowed to come into my presence, you clean disciples. You are not that far off from bearing fruit. Come into my presence and be made holy. Be set apart for service to me. Join me in what I'm doing in the world. Let's read it again, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. 
Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus being redundant for, for the sake of, guys, you gotta get this, says whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can come full and free into my presence because you've responded favorably to my word. Your level of righteousness has already been taken care of by the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ, which means you are that close to bearing fruit just because of who Jesus is. This close to winning souls for eternity just because of how awesome he is and the work that he has done on your behalf. You're that close. What are you called to do? How do you bear fruit? You abide in him. This is the part of the sermon where I shall not complicate the obvious. You have a personal relationship by which he is in you and you are in him. Spiritual oneness as we described last week in such a way that you can't help but bear fruit because you join him in what he's doing in the world. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And the image of his son is the vine that brings about life-saving salvation. Talk about redundancy to people. And you get to participate because every grape is fruit. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, make this abundantly clear. Jesus says when the seed of the gospel, when the seed of the word hits good soil, that soil will produce 30, 50, and 100 fold. We're the good soil. We need at least 30 grapes hanging off our branches. Could you imagine if Christians actually believed the words of Jesus? None of us would need to win 30 souls to Christ in our lifetime for everybody to be saved. Do you realize that? Two billion people say, oh, I'm a Christian. Two billion. Now, I'm not good at math, and that's why I became a pastor. That's why we have a trustee board. They use things called spreadsheets. I don't know what those are. But, but I, I think that's like three and a half souls per Christian, and the whole world would be saved. Which kind of goes back to this concept, are, are, are Christians really bearing fruit for the kingdom? And the, and, the, and the great answer is, yeah, so many of you are, so many of you are invested in it. But the, the other half of it is, but, but, but so many aren't. So many aren't invested in it. So, so what is the nature of their relationship with Christ? What's the product of this relationship. We've established that the product of relationship with Christ is fruit that should abide. John 15, 16, lasts for eternity. But, but, but what do we think our fruit is? And I'm concerned that, that many of us think that the fruit of our relationship with Christ is to feel better about life. That ultimately Jesus is the great coping mechanism of heaven. He encourages me when I'm down. He lifts me up when I'm feeling rough. He, 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 he will answer my prayers when I need him to fix things for me. He's a holy ATM that will provide for me when I need it. It's the feel goods. It's the, it, 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 and those are great things. Oh, please. 
I could write a book on the way the Lord has supernaturally supplied for me and my family over the years. I, could, I, could, I am certain to tell you that when I've had broken relationships, I've invited Christ into that and said, Lord, this is so broken, it'll never be healed. And then it gets healed, and you're like, how did that happen? And, and, I, there's, there's wonderful benefits to knowing Christ, but I think as Christians we focus so much on the benefits we forget John 15, 16, that he called us into relationship to bear fruit. I had a great time uh, this week. I, was, I, was, I had my quiet time with the Lord, and I'm, I'm reading Jeremiah 36 about the Rechabites, and I'm like, I never read this story before. How can I not read this? I've read the Bible my whole life, and I'm like, oh, the Rechabites, that's a great story. And then I'm, I'm praying over my family, and I, and, I, and I pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I pray the armor of God over myself, and as I'm praying, I'm feeling the presence of the Lord, and I'm like, this is great. I love being a Christian. The Word of God is so rich. I'm still uncovering new things. The presence of God is so pure. I feel great here this morning. I could, I could conquer the Word. And as I'm praying the armor of God over myself, I begin to pray and, and put the boots of the gospel of peace on me, please. And I'm like, oh, right, right. Because I'm supposed to go, 15, 16, that you might go and bear fruit that should abide the fruit of the gospel. Because the word of Christ makes people clean and the sacrifice of Christ makes them righteous and they can all be made holy and stand in the presence of God one day so long as they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, put, put the preparation for the boots of the gospel of peace on me so that I can move forward with the sword of the Spirit, use it as a sickle and do some harvesting for you. Because that's the, that's the result. That's what he's after. That's what he wants for us. And from us. So how do we abide? This is one of the great sermons of Jesus. I'm so glad he wrote the sermon for me. Because he gave me three application points. And they're right here in scripture. So how do we abide? Let's jump to verse 7. Believe it or not, we've covered verses 1 through 6 in the sermon today. But if you listen back, you'll, you'll recognize. Verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Now, remember the context. We've we discussed this context because we've been in this passage of Scripture, uh, chapter 13 through 17, three times in the last seven weeks. But, but here, the context is, what do you need to do to be successful once I'm sitting at the right hand of the Father? Once I've, once I've left you, the church, in charge of my mission in the world. So this concept of abiding in his words is coming over and over again in 14 through 17. Remain in my words, obey my words, listen to my words, abide in my word. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself, why did Jesus spend three years on earth and not just die immediately? You ever thought to think about that? Because he wanted to give us his word. Do you know the role of a disciple in the first century AD was to Listen to the preaching of your rabbi and memorize it so that you could say it exactly how he said it forever and ever and ever. And here we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew who walked and talked with Jesus as one of his disciples. Mark who recorded, recorded the preaching of Peter in Rome. Luke who went back to the original sources. Read Luke chapter 1 verses 1 and following. Went back to the original sources to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. And John who we're reading today who walked and talked with Jesus. And because he was so humble named himself the beloved disciple. 
Not only that, but you know, do you know one of the main aspects of what ended up in our New Testament, what didn't? See, you could only be one degree of separation away from the word of Christ or your book didn't make it in. Not two degrees, not three degrees, because everybody knows if I had the youth section here play telephone, what Elias starts with is not what Matthew's going to end with. Sorry, Matthew. It's not your fault. It's somebody else's. No telephone in the New Testament, one degree of separation. The shepherd of Hermas, the Didache, and the epistle to Clement didn't make it in. They all had a lot of good stuff in them, but they weren't one degree separated from Jesus, either from the apostles or from their associates. The word of Christ is here. You need to go no further. The word of Christ is available to you each and every day. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Every word of this New Testament is inspired because it comes from Christ. The word is here, but not only that, but the word is here. Because the Lord Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. They know how to listen to me. They know what I'm saying. They might ignore it most of the time because they're sheep or like Bella the Beagle in my house. They might ignore the word of the Lord, but they know the voice. You know the voice of the Lord. You read his word and you listen to it and it's, it's abiding in him. It's abiding in him. He goes on to say what? Therefore, go and pray for whatever you wish. Ask for whatever you wish in my name, and it'll be done for you. We're praying for fruit here. We're not praying for a Cadillac. We're not praying for him to heal the gout. We're praying for fruit. Praying for souls. Praying for what he came to earth for, the ones that he died for. Praying for them. I, I, I love to tell the story workshop. That's our, 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 our we always have something discipleship-wise to match the words that we use in the whole join, live, tell. Tell the story. And the workshop is designed to help people gain confidence in sharing Christ, find ways to build relationships where they might help people get one step closer to Christ. And, and each and every time I've led it, we've prayed for souls, and it's been crazy. People got saved. Isn't that loony? It's just crazy. It bore fruit. We had one guy, we prayed right in here, this was, they don't give me a classroom, I'm, I'm just the pastor. I was right up here with my workshop group. We were meeting right up here, I had a screen and all this thing. And, and we had a lady, she said she'd been praying for her ex-husband for 40 years, that he'd come to know Christ. He had been living, it, it, it can't be any better described as a child of hell for 40 years. Alienated everybody, hurt everybody, wrecked himself and wrecked everybody else. And we were praying for this guy, and, and, and believe me, sometimes I can grow cynical. You know that sarcasm is the sixth love language, and we practice it here. So sometimes I can grow a little bit cynical, but we prayed and prayed for this man, and one day I'm preaching, and 40 years after the fact, he comes with his ex-wife to church. And we give the invitation, and he raises his hand to accept Christ, except this guy got really saved because he came and prayed with the pastor afterwards. It wasn't good enough to raise his hand. He went straight in 1978 and came to the altar. It was amazing. I had the blessing of doing that man's funeral less than a year later. And I listened as his children eulogized him and talked about every relationship that had been broken, had been healed in the name of Jesus Christ. So pray for whatever you wish. The Father's glorified when you bear fruit. Pray for it. Pray for it. Don't quit praying. 
don't quit praying. And and as if that wasn't enough, remember, it's not just about duty. It's not just about the things we do because Jesus says, I want you to abide in my word and I want you to pray for the harvest, but I also want you to abide in my love. I do love you. I do love you. Your relationship with me isn't hanging by a thread. I heard that when Daniel Bond was here preaching this summer. I listened to his message, and I'm, I'm listening in my office, and after I got back from vacation, he says, God's love for you isn't hanging by a thread, nor is Christ hanging by a thread for any of you today. He already knows you're not righteous. That's why he died for you. But he has called you, and he did choose you in order to bear fruit. So will you join him in what he's doing in the world since you now know that you are clean and made righteous and able to enter the presence of God and do everything that he says you can do in the name of Jesus? Will you enter his presence regularly to abide in his love and in his word and in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for giving us three application points. My my preaching professor would be thrilled with you. But the simplicity of prayer and the word and abiding in his presence filled love, that's That's huge. He goes on to say again, abide my commandments, treat me as Lord and, and just experience my love. So obey me and find my presence, surrender to me and find my presence. We talked about that last week. Remember, I'm the Lord, so the more you obey me and the more you listen to my commandments, the more you obey them, you're going to feel my presence and you're going to feel my love, but abide there, abide there. And then as if he knows that we're all vain, as if he knows that we're just human, He says, I've said all this to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete because there's no greater joy than bearing fruit for God. Missed field goals give a temporary sensation of happiness, but they're not joy. All the things that we do day in and day out Seeking moments of fleeting happiness, they're not joy. Joy is bearing fruit. And bearing fruit is joy. Because it's what you're put on the planet to do. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And fruit that should abide. I chose you for this very purpose. Do you want joy today? Just because I love the Lord. He knows we're human. He knows we want to be happy. But not happy as the world gives. Because that's fleeting. That doesn't last. Nothing that this world has to offer from the Himalayas to Death Valley can make us happy the way bearing fruit can. Nothing this world has to offer at the end of a TV remote or at the end of a bottle can make you happy. Nothing where you have to swipe right, left, up or down will bring you joy. But the path to joy is to recognize what you're here for. You're here to bear fruit. And you're this close. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?
Lord, we're here to bear fruit. There's a lot of things that we tell you our relationship with you is about, but you've told us what our relationship with you is about today. It is great to know you, and in your presence is fullness of joy. We, we know that your presence is a joy in and of itself. We know, as the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, that God has given us everything for our enjoyment, so we don't have to shield ourselves from every pleasure that life has to offer in order to call ourselves Christians. But, Lord, true joy comes when we recognize what we're here for. And you say that's to bear fruit. So, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are having trouble abiding in your word, I pray that tomorrow morning they'd set the alarm a little earlier and take you up on your offer to abide with them through their word. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who aren't abiding in prayer, whose prayers usually are not for your kingdom to come or your will to be done in and around them. I pray that tomorrow you would con convict, but I say that in the gentlest way, convict their hearts to pray for the lost and for your name and your renown. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who feel very unrighteous today. They don't feel like they can do any good for you because they can't figure it out. They can't overcome. Oh Lord, would you remind them that they've already been made clean so they can come into your presence and ask you to forgive them of their sins. And the Bible says that they'll receive mercy and find grace in your presence, not judgment. So Lord, for those who aren't abiding in your love today because they feel like they're not worthy that they would abide in your love. And I pray that they'd also know that they're here to bear fruit, regardless of their level of righteousness. Oh, Lord, make of us a joyful people. Because we've learned to abide in you. We've learned to bear fruit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand? An actionable item might be awesome. How's that for alliteration? An actionable item might be awesome. For those of you who have never said, Christ, you are Lord, get baptized. Declare it to people. Things change when you make him Lord. For those of you who have been away from abiding in his word, why don't you set your alarm before you leave the sanctuary because you're all carrying a phone. For those of you who have prayed and prayed and prayed but have not prayed for the kingdom, pray for it tomorrow. And for those of you who don't feel worthy, why don't you do what the Bible says before you leave this place? Confess your sin one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. And so I'm going to have my elders up across the front of this platform today. And if you just need somebody to pray for you, let it happen. Do something actionable. God bless you.